Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Easter Sunday, April 17th, 2022, by our lead pastor, Rod Heppel. For more information about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Thank you for being with us today. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us for our worship service online. My name is Rod Heppel. I'm the lead pastor here at Sardis Fellowship. And uh, for myself and my wife, Anne, and our family, we want to wish you a happy Easter. We know that these are unusual times, still with COVID issues going on, and I don't know what your new normal for Easter is, but we just wish you God's best and God's blessing. I know it's been long, it's been hard, and that's why I'm delighted that you're still choosing to be with us here online. If you're a guest and you're joining us for the first time, we're also delighted that you've chosen to be with us today. Have you ever missed the point of something? You know, where I think this is a common human experience, um, where later on you kind of figure something out and then it makes sense what you missed earlier on. This happens to me a lot when I'm playing a new board game. I play it for the first time and I miss some pretty major piece of what you need to do in order for the game to work, right? And then as soon as you're done and you kind of go, oh, well, now I get it. Uh, I want to play again right away because I want to fill in that gap that I missed. This happens a lot in life. And that's why our theme for Easter this year is don't miss it. Because what can happen is something can be missing, and we don't want it to be. And therefore, we're talking about it so we don't miss it. Last week, Pastor Tim was preaching on Palm Sunday, and that was his theme on not missing the King of Kings who came into Jerusalem to do something for us. Not the King that people wanted, but the King that people needed. And then on Monday, Thursday, uh, which by the way, if you missed that and you would like to watch it, it is on our website. So you can see it there. Joel was leading through the whole teaching, the command of Christ, that we are to love one another. And we don't want to miss that. Uh, And so here we are today with our theme on Easter Sunday, resurrection. Let's not miss the point of the resurrection. And my sermon today isn't so much on the event itself, but the result of the resurrection, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as Pastor Tim said last week, we have a couple different layers to the idea of don't miss it. So on the most simple and obvious one is just be here, which you are. You're watching this today, so you haven't missed that. But the second layer goes a little deeper, and it's about the opportunity that Easter affords us each year to really just reflect. Reflect on Christ and what he's done for us, and to go a little bit deeper in our relationship with him. You know, Easter can come and go so quickly that we haven't even spent any time reflecting on who Christ is in our life. And so this year we were doing a few things to try to prompt that a little bit. Uh, We did the read through the New Testament in 90 days, and some people have been reminding me, they sent me a photo this week of all of their boxes, or almost all their boxes checked off, that they've read through the New Testament, and what they're saying is, hey, Rod, you promised an all-inclusive trip to Waltime, Saskatchewan. So good news, the bus is ready, and it's going to leave this afternoon at 2 o'clock if you're one of those people, and that's just a joke. Um, We also were talking about uh, the idea of practicing Lent. And that isn't um, maybe part of your tradition, but we were encouraging to go watch some Right Now Media videos, which introduces you to the whole idea of what Lent is, with the intention of having a deeper focus on Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. And then we also started to do these, uh, in the in-person service, a kid's story, where we were teaching various stories that happened in the week leading up to the cross and the resurrection of Christ, Um, and and you online have been also hearing what those stories are. And that was intentional to try to say, hey, as Easter's coming, let's think about it. Let's review what happened in that week, that Passion Week of Christ leading up to the cross and the resurrection. And then finally, um, 
Oh, by the way, I wanted to say, you saw that tomb earlier on that Rob Schaff was speaking about, and that was made by Pastor Dave and his wife, M. Uh, Lee, and also their two grandkids, Kamiko and Joel Nielsen. And so I thought that was beautifully done. Thank you for doing that. But all of these kind of attempts have been trying to help us not miss what Easter is all about. And today in our final message on this, I want to talk about it because there's one more layer that we could miss Easter. We could miss the whole point of why Jesus died on the cross and rose to life again. It could be in our minds just something that he did in the past and we don't realize what he's wanting to do in the present in our own lives. It is about what God has done for us and what has God done in us through faith in Christ and then what it is that God wants to do through us. This is what faith is all about. It's about me personally, personally realizing that, oh, what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. When he died on the cross, he had me in mind. The sin that I have, he paid for it there. And it's by faith in him that I am freed of that. And uh, then the resurrection is all about the fact that he gives me something. He changes me forever. He gives me eternal life. And that begins now. That life change begins now. So to help us focus on this idea of Easter, we have a, a phrase for today, which is the unbelievable story, uh, pardon me, the unbelievable love story that we need to hear again. So it's unbelievable. It's a love story, and we need to hear it. But we might ask, how is it a love story, and why is it needed to be heard again? In John 15, 13, it tells us that the greatest love, or greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And what we have in the Easter story is Jesus Christ laying down his life for us, his friends. It is the greatest demonstration of love that a person could show. And it is, in the plan of God's salvation, the demonstration of God's love towards me. He's not just spoken about it. He's shown it. He's demonstrated it. And so I have some verses here, 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the sinless life of Christ, the suffering he went through on the cross, his resurrection to life, his appearing to the disciples and his ascension to be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, all of that is captured in the Easter story and he did it out of love for all of humanity. It is truly a love story. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And not only that, we need to hear it because we can forget. And when we forget, we miss it. Love is at the center of the Easter story. And I want us to look at that word today. The word love. Uh, we use it a lot. And I'm questioning, do we understand it in the way in which the Bible uses it? And not only do we understand it, but are we living it? So, how do we know when something is love? You know, true love. Many of you have probably seen the musical called Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, the setting of it is in Russia in the early 1900s. It's a Jewish couple named Tevier and Golde, and they're watching their daughters grow up and find suitors and get married. And these girls are liberally throwing around the words, we're in love, Papa, we're in love. And uh, to which the dad, Tevier, says to his wife, oh, it's a new world, Golde. It's a new world, love. And it kind of moves him to ask the question of his, to his wife, do you love me? Which Golde thinks this is just ridiculous. Do I what, she says? Do you love me? 
Do I love you? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lay down, it must be indigestion. Goldie, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know I am, but do you love me? Do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow, and after 25 years, why talk about love right now? Goldie, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and mother said we'd learn to love each other, and now I'm asking you, Goldie, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know, but do you love me? Do I love him? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me. I suppose I do. And I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. You know, we talk a lot about love in our culture. And what is love? It has so many different facets to it. Is love just a word that we use to say, I love you? Is love a romantic feeling? Is love an action? And I think we know it is. Love is an action, and it's displayed in sacrificial action. And that's what we see at the cross of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at Greek and how uh, the Greek language uses various words for love. Different than in English, we have one word love, but we understand how we're using it by the context. Uh, you know, so you might say, I love pizza and I love my mom, but we know that you mean it in different ways. But in in the Greek language, they would choose the word they wanted for the context. So, if you're talking to friends, you would use this word uh, phileo, which is a, a brotherly love. Well, I should say it's a friendship love, but if you were to look at the city of Philadelphia, it kind of comes from that idea of phileo, and, uh, and then they add aldophos, Philadelphia, and you get brotherly love. And so there's this friendship idea. If it's romantic love or erotic love, we get our word erotic from the Greek word eros. Uh, it's a passionate love, negatively speaking, uh, lustful. Uh, family love is, a, is storge, and this is kind of that familiarity that you have within your family, a comfortableness, uh, one that is easy to take for granted, which I would say most of us in families do take that love for granted. And then there's the one that I want us to focus on today. It's the one the Bible uses. Over 200 times the New Testament writers use this form of the Greek word for love. It's called agape love. It's a sacrificial love. It's uh, the love at the highest level. It's an unwavering commitment and it is a willful choice. You choose to love someone. So that's where I wanna go. Let's take a look at this agape love because it's the love that Christ demonstrated for us on the cross. Greater agape love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. So that's the whole premise for us understanding what love is and what it is that God is asking us to do one to another. Agape love is unconcerned with yourself, but rather concerned for the greatest good of the other. It doesn't flow from an emotion. It comes from a choice. That's the will part of agape love. And it's unconditional. It's that deepest sense of commitment, no matter what. And as I said, it's used over 200 times in the New Testament to describe two things, the love that God has towards us and the love that we are to have toward one another. That's the love that Jesus displayed. And that's why the Easter story is a love story. Now, I do a lot of weddings. There's one I did a while ago. 
And I truly enjoy them. I mean, they're a beautiful event, right? Um, I, I love the, uh, the sense of excitement, the young love, although I've done some weddings for people in their 80s, but it's still young love as in new love. It's, it's precious, right? It's a beautiful thing. There's a purity about it. A wedding day is just truly a beautiful moment. Now, often I've been asked to speak on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at the wedding ceremony. And uh, it's referred to often as the love chapter in the Bible. Uh, this is perfectly fine passage to use for a wedding because it captures love. And I know why people ask for it, right? I mean, there's this sense of, well, we're in love and we want that kind of love. That's the reality that we want to live out in a marriage relationship. But I kind of chuckle to myself quietly when a person asks for it because when you read what we're about to read by way of Paul's description of what agape love is, it kind of lands like a bombshell. I mean, we should kind of be scared of it a little bit. It is a daunting undertaking to love each other according to 1 Corinthians 13. And yet that's exactly what the Apostle Paul has asked us to do one to another in the body of Christ, including, of course, in a marriage relationship. Sometimes we think of the word love as a bit of a weak word, like it's, um, it's soft or it's light and fluffy. It really isn't a, a deep word. You know, commitment would be a deeper way of talking about it. But when we look at the English language, we realize that we probably are looking at the word love through that cultural lens because the word gets used to describe so many superficial kinds of feelings and relationships, right? Like I said before, I love pizza, I love the Canucks, I love people. And it's like those are different categories. Or, or we might say, um, I'm in love one day and oh, I no longer am in love. And so there's this kind of back and forth, up and down aspect to how culturally we use the word love. And so we look at love through that cultural lens and it seems cheapened, watered down, or weak. But it's not. When we look at the description of what love truly is, agape love, Found in 1 Corinthians 13, we see a very different picture. Sometimes in the wedding ceremony, just before I get to reading the passage on love, I will say to the couple, hey, I just want to make sure that, um, that you're in love here today. And of course, they're like, yes, we're in love, right? Of course, I'm being humorous and I'm leading them down a bit of a path. I say, that's good, that's good, because I'm, I'm just about to read what love is, and I want to just make sure that the central factor in your relationship is this love idea. And so then I begin to read the passage, which goes like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And then I'll pause for a moment right there and I'll say, um, just checking in, you know, how are we doing so far? Are we still in love? Because, you know, we've covered a lot of territory here in just the first half of the description of what love is and we've got a second half to go. Again, just humorously. And then I read on. Love is not easily angered, not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That is agape love. And that is anything but a watered-down, weak word. It is the strongest word possible, love, to describe a level of relationship, to describe what the relationship should be. It is the highest understanding of what love is, agape love. So let's break it down a, a little bit here and look at what it is and what it's not. Because now I want you to take it and look at it in the context of your, your home, your friendships, and the church family. Love is patient. Love is kind. It celebrates the truth. 
It protects, it trusts, it hopes, and perseveres. What is love not? It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not dishonoring. It's not self-seeking. Nor is it easily angered. What does love do? Or what does love not do? Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Wow, that's a powerful one. Nor does it delight in evil. And ultimately, love never fails. And the reason why it says that is because if, if love is true to itself, it can't fail. That cannot fail. We can, but love doesn't. And this is what the love that God has for us. I think that's an important aspect of the resurrection of Christ, the cross and the resurrection. The whole story is the expression of God's agape love towards me and towards you, and that we are now to live towards others. But if we're honest with ourselves, how well do we do with this kind of love? Like seriously, do we even begin to come close to meeting all of these kinds of demands of love? No, we don't, right? Even with the ones that we would say are the closest ones in our lives, the ones that we love the most, the people who are most valuable to us, we know that even with them, we miss the mark. Whether it's in our homes, or in our church family, or in our friendships, we most likely fail more than we succeed. Well, that's kind of a depressing point. Why am I making a point about our failure? And I think I'm wanting to make that point because it, I believe, is in keeping with the point that Paul's trying to make with the Corinthians, which is this. We cannot allow room for spiritual pride. Somehow thinking that I'm so close to God and I'm so spiritual, maybe based on my quiet time or what I know about him, while at the same time not being so concerned about showing love to my brother and sister in Christ. There's no room for spiritual pride. That equation doesn't work. The Apostle John wrote about that a lot in 1 John. And you can read that if you want. Read the entire 1 John. But I, I bring this up. The second point I want to make about why I bring this up is because I think we need to pay attention if anything's going to change. If there's going to be any change, we need, we need to at least evaluate and see what does my life look more like? Am I evaluating just about me and my relationship with God or am I evaluating it based on my love for one another as God has loved me? What's my relationship like with both God and others? Easter is a demonstration of God's love for me then I must begin to put that love into action. Agape love is this. Sorry, I missed, uh, I missed the slide here. But agape love is an intention of my will over my feelings. An intention of my will over my feelings. Um, when, I, when I think of that, I think of Jesus in the garden. Okay, There he is the night before he's going to be betrayed and crucified. And he's in the garden and he's praying. And what is he praying? Father. If it's possible that I don't have to drink this cup, if I, if I don't have to go through the cross, you know, take it away. If there's another way for salvation, Lord. Now, at that moment, you know, he's not motivated to go to the cross out of a feeling of love, right? I mean, the feeling isn't there. If anything, it's the opposite. I don't want to go through that. And then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that's where the will part comes in. Father, but your will be done. I, I want to obey you. And the reason why I draw this out is because if we only act lovingly when we feel love towards someone, then we're missing the whole point. That's not agape love. Agape love is when we intentionally love someone over our feelings. Whether the feelings accompany us at that moment or not, it doesn't matter. It didn't accompany Jesus when he wrestled in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. That's agape love. 
Read this list again of what God's love is for you. His love towards you is patient and kind, protecting, hopeful, long-suffering, humble, honoring. His love keeps no record of wrongs. His love does not delight in evil but in good. His love is faithful to the very end. His love never fails. That's God's agape love towards you. But there is a therefore attached to this equation. Therefore, you are to go and do likewise. And that's what Paul picks up on in Ephesians 5 when he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Jesus loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Easter is all about what God has done for us, but it's also all about what God has done in us, and it's all about what God wants to do through us. You see, it doesn't just stop with the for and the in. It moves to the through. So we can't just stop. And this is what Paul was actually trying to say to that church in Corinth at that time. They were missing it. Um, you're, you're, you're getting the God has done something for me and God has done something in me and aren't I so spiritual? But you're missing the what God wants to do through me, which is loving one another. So the issue in Corinth, there's the slide I had out of order. The issue in Corinth is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. They thought that one gift was better than the other. And so they figured if I had that gift that was better than the other gift, then I'm more spiritual than the other person. It was a competition of the gifts. It's silliness. Their problem, Paul says, is that they lacked love. Paul, in essence, is saying that your gifts are useless without love. Everything that you think is important and has some kind of value before God, it's actually pointless. Using your gifts without love makes as much music as one note on a gong, clanging a gong, or crashing of a cymbal. That's not music, right? It has to be a part of the whole uh, band, so to speak, to be music. And Paul's saying in these verses here that, uh, that that's not what makes music. And so he makes this point like this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, so a gift that they would think is very spiritual, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Gifts without grace equal nothing. And Paul's putting himself into this position. He's saying, listen, man, all these things that we would think are amazing or lofty or important or spiritual or have value in God's eyes, well, they do if you love and they don't if you don't love. Paul is calling these believers in Corinthians to a new way of life which is contrary to their human nature. It's the way of love. And this love is a supernatural love. It's a love that can only come from a heart that's been born again. By the Spirit of God. When a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God's Spirit comes to live within us. And it's out of that spiritual gift of God that we now can love others. And that's what Easter is all about. Easter is about understanding the story, receiving the story, and giving the story. Your sins are forgiven. You're eternally placed into the family of God. You now understand the agape love principle by the sacrifice of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and now you own it, and you are to share it with others. Paul is not speaking about some human virtue that we can just achieve on our own effort, but rather a love that is rooted 
in God's love in Christ, and we are in Christ, and his love is in us. That's how it works. The irony in this passage is that as Paul is speaking on love and giving this definition to the Corinthian church, he's praising love and all of its attributes, but at the same time, he's rebuking them for how far they have missed it themselves. And we need to hear this today. Paul's description of love is addressing the real problem in the church, which is the lack of love. They're missing the main thing. The description of love is also saying that's exactly what you're missing. So it's a reprimand. You're not acting in love towards one another. And it's only when we act in love do we actually understand what the purpose of Easter is all about. I want you to hear that. It's only when we act out of love or when we act in love that we ourselves today are appropriating the message of Easter or else we too will miss it. It is easy to get caught up in thinking that Easter is about Jesus and me and what he did for me and we miss the second part of that equation. But we are called to love as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, which is the love that Christ modeled for us. Agape, agape love, a love of the will, a love of sacrifice. And when we love like that, we are actually expressing that we know what it means to love God. It's interesting to note that these early Christian writers got their idea of what agape meant from Christ himself, from what he modeled in his life, more so than what he taught. See, he taught love your enemy, but he modeled love your enemy. It was from the life of Christ to his loving the least of these and going to the cross and dying that the whole idea of agape love um, rose to be the highest level of understanding of what love could be. And it's shaped and framed around the example of Christ. Agape love is an action. It's not just words, right? It's a willful choice, not a feeling. It's lived out, not talked about. And Paul knew this. In fact, there's an example of Paul knowing this because just before he comes to chapter 13 and chapter 12, verse 31, Paul switches gears a little bit. He says, I will show you a more excellent way. And he changes from third person language to first person. In other words, he puts himself into the story now. He puts himself into it and he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul places himself in the situation, identifying himself with the challenge. If I have all these gifts, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Paul does this because he's looking for a better outcome from the listeners who are going to hear this message. He just wags his finger in their face and tells them how they don't love, which there's an element of that. But he doesn't identify with it himself as being part of this equation. Then he's not being honest. Paul, too, has missed it. Paul, too, knows that a lack of love can lead to spiritual pride and will accomplish nothing. He talks about that in other places. In my fourth year at Briarcrest Bible College, going way back now, um, the manager of the dining hall came to me, the cafeteria. His name was Colin Domes, and he said, Rod, um, I need a favor to ask. It's a special role we have in the dining hall that no one wants to take. It's to be the team leader of the high school girls' shift. No one wanted to do this role because it was very stressful. These girls just tended not to really understand the priorities, they got distracted easily and often didn't show up. So it was very stressful. He said, we kind of need someone in their fourth year, not their first year, to oversee this rod. Would you be willing to do it? And I said, yes. It was everything that he'd warned me about and even more. I mean, I was seriously getting frustrated, and I don't think I was doing a very good job at hiding that. 
At the same time that I was doing that in the dining hall, I was taking a leadership class with Ellery Pullman. And in the leadership class, we had to do a project, uh, some kind of a project that was our own. And so I brought to him the situation about leading this team in the dining hall. He said, this is perfect. You take the principles that you're learning in this class that I'm teaching and you apply them there and see the difference that it makes. And so I did that. Look for a different outcome by applying the principles that you're learning, these biblical principles. So I did that and it worked. It worked amazingly. Um, I had called the girls together. I talked through the challenges. I validated the fact that there's a lot going on here and it's hard to keep track of everything and know what to prioritize and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I helped them say, how about we develop a plan together? I put myself on the team with them. I got their input and then we started to kind of work towards making the situation better. But I did something else too. I began to start each shift with just a short prayer, uh, praying for a shift and then that led into, um, does anyone else else have anything they would like me to pray for and then they would start sharing what was going on in their life and then I would include that in the prayer. What I found interesting is that as we grew in this process, the girls changed. I mean, I actually think that their attitudes became better, they started to understand uh, the plan better and carry it out, they seemed to care more. But the more interesting thing was how the change took place in me. Uh, prior to having the relationship with them, I really didn't care, I got frustrated easily. After we started to do the praying together and I learned a little bit about their lives, I began to care, and I began to change. And I have to say, the outcome was good. Learning how to love them, and learning how to understand how to lead them, as Christ would want me to lead them, led to a good outcome. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do by putting himself in the first person in this story, was to lead them to a better outcome. But there's an outcome that God is looking for from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it has two parts to it. It's an outcome where we receive something and it's an outcome where we give something. Joel spoke about this on Thursday at the Monday Thursday service when he said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love, agape, one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, it seems so easy to grasp the first half of this equation, the first outcome of the cross, or part one of the outcome. It's so easy for me to go, oh man, Jesus, you did that for me. And I, I, and I want to receive from you what you want to give me. It's this one-to-one -one personal relationship side, and that's the easy part. And then the second part of this equation is harder. It's where then we're called upon to extend that love to others. And in particular to those who are part of the body of Christ. And let's just be obvious. We are not as easy to love as Jesus is to love. It is the easier relationship with just me and Jesus than it is one to another. But that's what he calls us to. Jesus is the head of the body. And we the people are the body that makes up what the head wants to do. The head gives the commands. We respond working together to do what he's asked us to do. And he's asked us to love one another. First John puts it like this, couldn't be clear. Track with me here to every time. John says, love, agape love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Easter, don't miss it. What's my point here that I'm hoping that you don't miss? Well, I have two groups of people in mind here today. You could be watching here today and thinking, man, I actually never have really put together that the event of Easter, which I've always seen as something that happens out there. I've never had the understanding that it actually has an implication to what happens in here. That what Christ did on the cross there for all of humanity, he did for me personally, and I need to receive that. You can't just know about it. You need to willfully choose Christ or reject Christ. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Believing and receiving are a part of this equation. And so I would challenge you, I would plead with you, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Invite him into your life. Let him become your Lord. He will change you today. He will change you forever. But the second part of that equation and the second group I have in mind is those of us who have come to that place of faith in Christ. Maybe years ago, like it was for me. And we're living this and we maybe become a little bit accustomed to the whole idea of the gospel message. But I'm challenging you today to look at whether or not we're evaluating ourselves just off of that first principle. That first outcome of the resurrection. Oh yeah, me and Jesus. He saved me. I'm his for eternity. Or have I actually incorporated the second part? The second outcome that Jesus really wants that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. It is possible that we could evaluate our spirituality based on the wrong standard. If we stood before God and all that he was to measure us by was our agape love one to another, how well would we fare? Just like I asked the bride and groom when I started to read all the description of what love is and how challenging that is, when I got to the point and I asked, are you still in love, right? Um, God looks at these words, love is patient, love is kind, and he asks us, how well are you doing, church, one to another? How well are you loving? The death and resurrection of Jesus has a purpose, and we don't want to miss it. John 13, 34 says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so this Easter, I don't want us to miss it. I want us to understand what Christ did for me, and I want to understand what Christ wants to do through me. He wants us to love one another. Join me as I pray. Father in heaven, I do pray for the one right now who might be wrestling with the truth that Jesus Christ died for them, and they need to put their faith and trust in Jesus and receive him. But I also pray for those of us who've already said yes to following Christ, and we meant it, and we're delighted to be in your family. And yet, God, you command us to love one another. And maybe we have not been evaluating ourselves closely enough on this part of this equation. Lord, please bring the resurrection power of Christ to our hearts today that we might live out agape love one to another. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.